to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the only book club podcast that really, just out of advisement of our lawyers and good common sense, cannot comment on our potential land holdings in Yokohama. Just can't <laughs> can't bring it up. Have nothing to say, no updates, Amanda, no critical yep. facts that people need to hear about this. We just nope. we're just gonna leave that be. <laughs> it's smart. I mean, unless unless you're Korean and come to offer us something no not not commenting on that either <laughs> not commenting on any background details any facts of the case we're just going to leave all of our land holding discussions for another podcast recorded with our lawyer team and we're appreciative of them as well <laughs> uh, if you have no idea why we're talking about land holdings in yokohama which i think is is where it was i didn't look it up um somewhere in japan that is because you have found a book club episode these are our analytical deep dive episodes into the work that we've been reading lately this book club part two episode will be on the novel pachinko by minjin lee and today we'll be spoiling the entirety of that book during our discussions so unless you want to hear us talk about the entirety of the novel pachinko and spoiling it then you can hit pause in a second and come back when you're ready to listen to that discussion and, and join us for, for some analysis as i mentioned we are the lightly literary podcast We've got social media accounts that promote what we're doing and update the reading schedule, mostly on time, kind of not on time, but, you know, on time-ish, on time adjacent. (laughs) Um, Yeah, on time adjacent, we'll say. On Instagram and Facebook, you can find us at the Lightly Literary Podcast, which is all one word, so it should be nice and easy to find. If you're on a podcast platform that has ratings and reviews, feel free to leave us a five-star rating. We always appreciate that. And it definitely helps promote the pod, so that is extremely beneficial to us and we appreciate that any content warnings for this back half amanda i couldn't really come up with any um there's some death and some descriptions of sex but nothing out of pocket yeah i would say yeah there's there's nothing too gory going on in the latter half yeah nothing gratuitous nothing kind of intense or sort of insensitive or anything nothing like that it's yeah it's all played pretty down the middle which yeah, I think it fits in with this book. Um, and again, we'll be spoiling the entirety of it at this point, and we'll be doing that in our first segment right away. So if you're sensitive to spoilers, another quick warning that that's coming up um, imminently, that we'll be discussing everything at this point. The whole plot is available for analysis. Shall we start, Amanda? Let's dive in. Let's get it started. So we're going to do our, our new first segment. If you're listening for the first time, then this won't seem different to you. But if you've been listening, you'll know we went back to an old format for the podcast book club analysis episodes recently. And one new segment we've been doing is a 60 second summary challenge. So each of us is going to have 60 seconds timed to summarize the back half of the story and everything we've read, which in this novel will be a quite a challenge, perhaps an impossible one. We'll find out shortly. And yeah, I'm going to start the timer. Do you want to go first or should I go first? I feel like I should. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Let me set up my timer just just to get things prepared here. Um, anyway, let me know when yours is ready, and then when you say go, I'll give it a shot. And go. Okay. Muzazu and Noah grow up. Muzazu becomes a successful and extremely rich pachinko guy. He may be Yakuza. We have no idea, but he's doing fine. Noah becomes a depressed academic, and then when he learns about his real father, uh, becomes Japanese and transitions into a completely detached life from his family. When his mom finds him years later, he kills himself over the shame of his background. In the meantime, the other family members continue to live in Japan and have a pretty decent, successful life, living kind of middle class. And Muzazu, in the meantime 
um, has a family that he loves, but his wife dies, he gets remarried, and the kid from his first marriage, I believe, Solomon, he ends up becoming kind of our main character. He becomes a finance bro in New York, and then goes to school there, comes back to Japan, becomes a finance bro in Japan, and may end up inheriting the pachinko business to the chagrin of his father, Muzazu. Wow, that's that what was I'm under on. a minute. <laughs> well, I also, cu- I also cut out half the characters, perhaps, but I just thought <laughs> I would beeline straight for the plot that ends the book. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just stuck with just stuck with the Mizazu Solomon connection and oh, yeah, ignore, and eschewed everything else. So, yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> and I also, I, I also forgot as soon as this started. Did where does the second half even begin? I forget World War Two. <laughs> I don't even really know. Um, it is right after, hold on one second, right after, um, Isaac dies, uh, mm. well, no, it's not right after, because they, they go to, um, the farm. So the farm is halfway, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I cut out a decent chunk then. Well, that's all I could handle. That was my 60 second summary. <laughs> um, yeah. let's do yours well, it, before it was we like, spoil It was like they much. were coming back, I think, okay, yeah, they were coming back to the, um, Osaka, I think, right? Oh, okay. That, no, that seems it's right. I, think I, yeah. I would have guessed the farm was about halfway. So that, that feels good. Okay, um, and I'll start you here in a couple seconds. Do you do you feel prepared? <clears throat> I am ready. Okay. Uh, three, two, one, go. Uh, so they come back to Osaka after the farm, and they um, Yosub is badly burnt. He can't work or anything like that. So he actually turns to Kyungi and Sonja and uh, Sonja's mom to make a living so they are working in confectionery again Noah is really intent on going to school at Waseda University and Mozatsu hates school because he gets bullied and he beats people up in response to that he makes a really good friend Tatsuyama who is Japanese and his mom has um, a a kid who's um, got some mental disabilities and anyway so they um, Yosef eventually dies, but not before he asks Kim Chung Chung Hwa to, or whatever his name is, to marry Kyungi, and and Kyungi says no. And then he goes to North Korea and then disappears. Um, and they uh, over time, Sunja ages. Noah disappears. He eventually kills himself. Muzazu gets married. His wife dies after time. giving birth. Okay. <laughs> I think uh, you were patching in the things I left out. Yeah, I was trying which, to. We were Hansu spackling. finally yeah. proposes to Sunja, and Sunja's like, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in a desperate, kind of enfeebled last minute attempt at something. What yeah. did we leave out? You you started to cover the Kyungi thing, which we'll get to later in the essay section. Not, not to mm-hmm. spoil that, but we're coming around to that. Did we leave any major characters out? I mean, Hansu just kind of floats around the narrative as he always does, <laughs> pops in and out, you know. Keeps an eye on things, keeps tabs, but doesn't really, it doesn't really uh, infect or affect the story, obviously, except for the huge um, one of showing Sunja where her son is again, which leads to the suicide. But otherwise, he just kind of stays at the parameters and, you know, comes in and out, causes her some drama, or just causes her some discomfort, not drama, but. Yeah. And, and but she also points out that she still like thinks about him and wants him and so but she mm-hmm. said yeah. no to him out of respect for Isaac and right and probably for Noah um, yeah I guess the only thing is at the end Mazatsu gets remarried 
to a Japanese yeah, lady who, yeah, is, yeah. who is also she's a divorcee, and she, and her daughter is uh, Hannah is right? very troubled. Yeah, Hannah, and she, um, and she and Solomon, who's Mitsu's <laughs> son, kind of like have a, a relationship for a little bit, but. Yep. She's very troubled and runs away to become a um, a bar hostess. Yes. Um, and she succumbs to some kind of... I think it's HIV. Yeah. There were some descriptions in there where they said things like... She said she got it from a businessman having sex, so that implies that it's a it's a sexually transmitted disease strong enough to you know like destroy her whole immune system and body so and then yeah, there's and some there reference to about all over how, her body yeah and there's some reference to about how america has some treatments for it that japan doesn't have and then they just yeah. but they just allude to it it's never yeah yeah that's actually a major what was the um muzatsu her mom and his partner what's her name mm-hmm. it's etsuko uh, Etsuko, okay, yeah, at, at the E, yeah, yeah, okay, so Etsuko, we, and then yeah, Muzatsu has a uh, Yumi, a first wife who's interesting and gets really ruthlessly killed off by this book in a move that the book returns to a couple of times, and so, you know, we missed her, but she's not, I mean, she has her section and her chapters, but she's not in it for very long, so, yeah. okay, yeah, and I think that covers most of the summary, and the, any other, again, key plot points we missed, we mentioned the two sons and their outcomes and fates, Solomon ends up becoming kind of the main character. So I think we hit everything. Anything we missed? I don't think so. Noah did have a family. He had kids, but... Um, he does, yeah. Sinja decides to stay out of their lives because he took great pains to not reveal that he was Korean, so... Yes, he's been living as a Japanese citizen, too. He got his citizenship as well. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Okay, let's move on to some quotes for clarification. We always like to do a quotes-based segment just to analyze the work more deeply and discuss specific elements that worked for us or maybe didn't work. Uh, I'll go first, I suppose. Um, this is relevant for us because we did... Didn't we do The Sorrows of Young Werther at some point? We did. Way long ago, deep in it. Yeah, in the that was, I think, our first book that we did together. Excellent. Okay. It, well, it was in a worthy story, and now we come full circle on the podcast. We pachinkoed our way back to that to that book, <laughs> bounced our way back, because uh, Noah's an interesting character in this story. I I think he it, it represents a lot of what I think this book feels to me, which is I think it does work thematically, but I also don't think it was that well done either. That's how I ended up feeling about a lot of the things in this book where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I get it. I get the trauma you're mining. I get the themes that this is playing with and his, but it, everything felt really abrupt in the back half. And the Etsuko Hannah plot line, while interesting and introduced some new themes, dynamics, some some new ideas of identity because they're j- actually Japanese but are ashamed, kind of culturally out of the you know mainstream and all that. I j- it just felt overburdened, and then it's like you take a character like Noah and have him completely collapse and fall apart in basically two pretty short scenes, and it's just mm-hmm. kind of like okay, I mean. He was intense and studious. I don't know if that has to mean that in in a two page span he completely destroys every, his whole life. Like I don't, I'm not really sure where that came from. I, I guess like it, I don't know. A lot of the back half of this book felt pretty abrupt to to me. But the on 307, his arguments in we know he's been reading Gota and a lot of English lit in universities, kind of a sullen, serious kind of kid, aloof, and um, he just goes full young Werther here. He just has a total kind of pride and honor and love-based meltdown 
um, <laughs> with his then girlfriend Akiko. And some of the things that they say here, um, he says, Akiko, why do you always have to be right? Why do you always have to have the upper hand? Why can't I decide when and where you can meet someone personal to me? I would never do this to you. I would respect your privacy, which he's sputtering. And she tries to argue back. And his final quote here is, he says, I'll pack up your things and have them sent to your house by messenger. I don't want to see you anymore. Please never come see me again. Noah, what are you saying? She said, astonished. Is this the Korean temper that I've never seen before? She laughed. You and I, it cannot be. Why? Because it cannot. And there's nothing else he could think of. And then she then talks about his father and reveals it about Hansu that he's likely her dad or his dad. Sorry. So I... I mean, again, thematically, there's interesting stuff at play, kind of her status as a, you know, attractive and intense Japanese woman at university who seems to, you know, get a lot of respect and is bold and interesting and smart. His status is kind of this, like, person who's trying to fly under the radar, not ruffle any feathers, work really hard to earn his place. He's Korean in Japan, and it's already challenging for him. I But, like... How about this, I guess? We know what literature he's been reading. We, we get some references to stuff he's been doing. A line like that, because it cannot be, and that's kind of the summation of his where he ends up with this. Do you feel like it, it built to that? Do you feel like the, the story it led us to that moment? Did it feel... Because, again, I read it as really abrupt. Maybe convenient would be a more negative way to say it, but it was just kind of like, oh, I guess. I mean, his suicide is also played this way very strongly in the narrative where it's just sort of like these immediate revelations that uh, must be accepted in his life. Um, did you enjoy his character development? Did you feel like those moments, I, they're meant to be off-putting. He's obviously living his life and he's following a code he set for himself that is rigid and everything. So I, I think it's supposed to feel that way, but I don't even think narratively if it felt, I don't know, fully built up to, fully earned. Did you like his development? Uh, yeah, it, because specifically with his relationship with her, um, I knew that that had to end um, because she was displaying a different form of racism that is not the overt, like, I, I hate yeah. you because you're Korean racism, but the everything is colored by your race and I'll make, you know, and I still adhere to certain generalities about your your race and your ethnicity, but... She has a whole but paragraph it's okay, I'm where on she, your side. He, he analyzes it. He has a whole paragraph that I didn't quote where he basically says, like, she's a certain kind of liberal where she's, she wants to seem so non-racist that that's all she ever talks about is race. And she does it there, too. She mentions the Korean, you know, she thinks it's playful and fun and she's almost like talking about it will make it better. But his whole view is that's like dehumanizing and it just shouldn't even have to come up. Right. Um, and that's, I think... It, an important step for Noah um, where he's been trying to like hide his race even in school when he was a kid um, yeah because he was you know tormented for smelling like kimchi and garlic and everything else um, but but having that relationship where he thought of her as like after that discussion of Daniel Deronda which I loved that book when I read it and, and I, and I mm -hmm. love that there was a connection there that the, that Minjin Lee made that connection to Daniel Deronda for Noah. I was like, Oh, so great. Um, anyway, uh, the, well, how about this? Her... let me, let me pose this mm -hmm. question this way. 
Yeah. If if we had no idea what he was studying at university, no illusions, no references. Let's say if he was like a physicist or something, like no, just you know, some casual talk about his physics labs. Do you think his character development would make sense? Because I mm. I don't know, like obviously, especially I made the joke about Young Werther. Like we know Gota living on these high emotions, being a like absurdly emotionally. I don't even know, like, d- devastated kind of young person. Very rigid, very, like... I don't I don't remember if there was, like, a sense of code of honor in that book, but I just remember it was a character who just could not accept certain realities and was yeah. just devastated by them. And so it's like, okay, that all reads cleanly again. But, I, again, like, strip that out of this book, which because it's not like it's a ton. And it's not like she explains any of the stuff I just said. She just mentions the books. <laughs> she doesn't, like, right. analyze them, like, you know, briefly. So, like, does his character development make sense if those are gone? Because it just, to me, felt like, oh, I guess I just accept that this is the... Like, it, it, when he was younger, he's shown to be, what, like, studious and more serious than Muzazu, but doesn't... It's not like he's much of a character before. So this is really, like, the first time he's, like, a really fleshed-out person. And then he just... The first thing we see him do is abandon his entire life and restart it. <laughs> That's, like, the first kind of major character decision he makes. Um, well, yeah, it's, a, it's his first time being an adult, but yeah. but even as a child, we saw glimpses of this. I th- I, th- I think so. He he idolized Isaac, right, um, right. who is somebody who was an idealist and who stuck to his beliefs and was very much um, about morality, even in the face of death. Right when when he was captured and everything. So yeah, because he idolized his father in, in his father figure in that way we kind of get a, a hint that he's going to be the same way right he prides himself on how alike how similar he is to Isaac and we know also that he was tormented for being Korean and he was very much trying to hide his his Koreanness so we get that sense yeah. too even even before he's an adult so i think that it was built up, um, even if he were not to be an English major, which I think being an English major is is a major component as well of of who he is as a person, and kind of indicative of his his ideas of like the American dream and um, stuff like that. The it's even without that, if he were to major in something else, I think that I still would not have been surprised by his character arc. There must be some scene I just don't remember from him because, of course, it's like I remember Isaac and his prison sacrifice and that. I just don't remember them having a. I mean, I know they were close. The whole family was like even Mizazu, who's you know in the first half is clearly played up to be so different, but they all like tend to get along. There's no like inter intra. Is it intra? Yeah, there's no like intra familial strife. It's mostly like the economics of it all, the situation. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) To go from. To go from living peaceably with your family and having no external issues to complete abandonment in one chapter feels odd to me. Um, but, you know, well, it, it's, it's, it hurts his moral sensibilities and his his yeah. idealization of his own mother and of his his understanding of his life. And he realizes that his idol is not actually his father, but is is <laughs> the opposite of his father is. Right, of 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 Isaac Beck, he's he's actually related to a gangster and not right. the perfect 
father that he thought that he was really it's it's shattering to him because that's his entire understanding of who he is as a person hmm. just just being like thrown in his and face you, yeah and you think the first half of the book sets up that he's his identity is so foundationally constructed that way again there must just be scenes i'm like underrating between him and his father in the first half of the book because it's just yeah, like I, to, I think so I, yeah yeah it it yeah I, I, to have a complete life abandonment in now granted again this is also just an issue we're going to bump into um with sanjin too I, when you have this many characters in this much time maybe i just will never be satisfied with any character development because you just have to accept <laughs> you have to accept that things significant things happen off page like big 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 mm-hmm. things and for him it just was like this is the first sense of the adulthood. I mean, I guess we again saw him living as kind of like a bookkeeper, and we got that sense of his morals and his kind of up upstandingness and up uprightness. Um, I don't know. I guess, yeah. I, I just didn't read it as so fragile. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's maybe part of what makes it interesting too. I suppose that's it. Um, how about quotes for you? Yeah, um, mine. I've got one from page. Uh, 449 and this is um, to do with Phoebe who is Solomon's Korean American girlfriend from college Phoebe loved being with Solomon's family it was much smaller than her own but everyone seemed closer as if each member were organically attached to one seamless body whereas her enormous extended family felt like cheerfully mismatched Lego bricks in a large bucket um, I just really enjoyed that because um, Min Jin Lee throughout this novel, like she she uh, is very concise in her writing and she's not really one to use a whole lot of figurative language necessarily to get her point across. So when we get examples of it, it always stands out for me. And, and in that particular sense, I, I was like, oh, man, I, I really like that imagery that she uses with the Lego blocks and versus organically attached to one seamless body it's what a nice contrast she's got there where one is like natural and whole and the other is you know kind of uh man-made right with the lego block so it's not as natural and it's um having to be built and put together so i really like that contrast i thought that she did a, a great job with that in that quote yeah, it's a fair enough kind of fitting enough metaphor, I don't know, for the American experiment, you could say. It's just a bunch of <laughs> blocks that you hope make a constructed whole, make some kind of architectural coherent thing. But yeah, that's and she obviously leaves the story and they don't make it. They She breaks up, um, which will, I think, thematically add some layers to the identity the book kind of toys with and who belongs where and where should you feel like you belong and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's interesting too. The outsider's view of their family, because obviously yeah. since we lived with their family strife, we know that the challenge of it, um, the one exception to that will be Kyungi, which again, I want to save thoughts on her until we do the essays, but yeah. Did you enjoy Phoebe's? Do you, what do you think she added thematically then? Is, is it, I guess what I said? Yeah, she's um she's showing some of the, you know, what it looks like from the outside, but also she's she's the only American in the book too. Um Right, right. So but she is again Korean American and so we see the difference I think uh between what it's like to be Korean American and have these ideals and and not understand the the racism in Japan. 
um, and uh, versus like Solomon's kind of like, well, that's just the way it is, and it's never going to change. And and Phoebe's American sensibilities of, we have to change it. So um, yeah, yeah it, it's it just is like another way yeah. to kind of look at to see. Um, the difference in perspective again about how people survive um, that kind of racism there. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Uh, one more quote for me from the back half. Uh, Kazu, our finance bro, who ends up kind of cheating Solomon out of a deal, or I don't know if cheat, cheating is not the wrong word. It's positioning him, kind of using him and exploiting his connections and stuff. Anyway, he lays out some some uh, businessman philosophy, kind of a mirror reflection of what Hanzu does in the first half of the story, where he gets his little speech for a couple pages about his worldview. And Kazu kind of has his here. This is from 442. He says, of course, the worst one is the life tax on the mediocre. Now that one's a bitch. Kazu tosses cigarettes and crosses arms. Pay attention. The ones who pay the shit tax are mostly people who are born in the wrong place and at the wrong time and are hanging onto the planet by their broken fingernails. You don't even know the fucking rules of the game. You can't get mad at them when they lose. Life just fucks and fucks and fucks bastards like that. Kazu wrinkled his brow in resignation like he was somewhat concerned about life's inequities, but not very. He took a deep breath. So those losers have to climb Mount Everest to get out of hell and make Maybe one or two in 500,000 break out, but the rest pay the shit tax all their lives, then they die. If God exists and if he's fair, then it makes sense that in the afterlife those guys should get the better seats. And then later he says, but all those able-bodied middle-class people who are scared of their shadows, well, they pay the mediocre tax in regular quarterly installments with compounding interest. When you play it safe, that's what happens, my friend. So if I were you, I wouldn't throw any games. I'd use every fucking advantage, beat anyone who fucks with you to a fucking pulp, show no mercy to chumps, especially if they don't deserve it, make the pussies cry. And then he talks later about... His view of this three-tiered, basically his three-tiered interpretation of the world with people paying different taxes, yada, yada. Fitting enough to be in finance language. Um, and th- there are these kind of figures throughout the story. Hansu's the other one that had these moments of like, okay, well, <laughs> if I don't want to interpret the country or uh, interpret the world politically, nationally, if I'm not going to wrap my identity up in, you know, I'm Korean or I'm Japanese or I'm from somewhere, I belong somewhere, then kind of like this is another way to interpret the world and how to get by in the world, how to make it, things work for you, what to care about, how to care. I guess here's the big question. Um, the voices of those two characters are distinctly different. Like the just reading that out loud, like rhetorically, not just the mm-hmm. cursing, though that's a big part of it. The, they just sound and emote and speak so differently than every other character in the in the story, especially once yeah. you compare it to like um, Sanju, that whole family dynamic and the people. And just like the way they interact is, is so different. Do these are these characters good? Uh, it's another case of like I think they're thematically relevant, and I get it's like an interesting twist, and it's an important introduction into a story about identities and who gets to have a national identity and who doesn't. I just don't know if they're like well drawn. Is it too heavy handed? Mm-hmm. Is it kind of silly almost in its absurdity? It's it's definitely hard to to make a, an articulate, interesting finance bro. I think that's tough. <laughs> so I don't know. Did you feel like? I mean, again, it's like I see how it slots in. The positioning makes sense. His, you know, how he cheats him in the end kind of also makes sense. Um, yeah. Did you did you enjoy those moments? Did you think? What, what do you think it adds? I guess. Um. It, I think it, it adds another perspective where it's like, he points out, yeah, you know, it's not just about 
uh, race, but it's also about economic status, and also how that economic status can be sometimes like informed by race. If you know, if society doesn't give you that chance, and and you're just constantly, as you said, like shit on. Um, so I think that it it just gives another uh, element. It clarifies another element of the the issues that Solomon's dad and Sunja and his family has experienced in, in Japan, which is like the the inability to escape um, racism and how difficult it is to escape the poverty that is caused by that too. Yeah. And his other co-workers, there's some, some interesting twists. There's an Italian co-worker. He kind of reprimands him severely. Well, not reprimand, because it's not to his face. He cr- critiques him pretty severely behind his back about how he's pathetic and really socially inept and everything. So there's that dynamic. But in the end, I don't know if we want to read into some of these plot developments, you know, they all stay at the bank. They all kind of make it, quote unquote. It's Solomon who tries to but I don't betray his own identity. It's not a betrayal. It's like he uses his Korean connections to sort of make this deal happen, but he's the one who loses. I'm not sure how to read mm-hmm. that thematically. I don't know. We'll, we'll get to this in the essay segment as well, but I do think there are some characters who kind of end up feeling at home and find a home. Obviously, though, Solomon's not meant to find a home with this person. At least the book sets yeah. up that they're not. It's clearly not what he thinks, or it's not the kind of identity he's going to end up having. So... Right. Yeah, um, it seems like Solomon's going to be in Pachinko as well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Something a little closer to literal home. Um, let's do <laughs> your, your other quote for this half. Sure. Um, the other quote that I have is um, kind of tied to my, my essay question, but this is on page 270. And it is Yosef talking to Kim Chang-ho. Um, Kim Chang-ho being uh, the Hansu's like henchman, but also is the guy who's in love with Kyungi. Yes. Um, no, I must. We, he says, brother, you're not going to die. No, I must. We must try to build a nation again. We can't only think of our own comfort. Even as Yosef said this, Chang Ho felt the resp- the possibility of being with her again, something he had given up. So the reason I chose that quote is that is when I was like, wait a minute, we must try to build a nation again. It, it's He's talking about, originally he was t- t- trying to convince Chang-ho not to go to Korea and to instead stay and marry Kyung-hee once, he, uh, once Yosef dies. But then he brings up, we must build the nation again. And I was like, oh, strange. Okay. And that's when I was like, you know what? Maybe, maybe this is actually all a big allegory like these characters are actually symbolic for certain aspects of like the war and Korea and Japan and and their relationship so I, I it got me to thinking like is Yosef supposed to be a symbol for old Korea because he's like old school in a lot of ways and he's dying out he's like you know he's been burned he's been like abused he's not as strong as he once was he's Losing yeah. a lot of things. And then Kim Chang-ho is maybe like the new Korea because he's going back and he's all about, he's like, he's not sure about communism, but he really wants to go back to Korea. So he's like going back to the North, which was a terrible choice. Um, hey, and well, his, I mean, they, they lose track of him, obviously, communication wise, and then they presume he's dead. Yeah. 
Um, so is he supposed to be symbolic of like the new Korea and, or just like the new North Korea or like the, the hope is he supposed to be like the, the symbol for like what everyone hopes the new Korea is going to be? Um, and then in, in, in all of that, then what is Kyung Hee, which is your essay question. So yeah. Uh, that got me that quote got me to thinking of like oh my gosh maybe this is there these characters are meant to be this this and this so no i think yeah there's there are a ton of kind of thematically symbolically i don't i don't know if i'd go full allegory but then again the allegories i'm accustomed to are like a little tidier than this book i think is um just because when you kind of write that way you can't have well i don't know I, there's room for interpretation and allegory of course but it's you can't have this many characters. Maybe the allegory becomes exhausting. <laughs> like there's like a hundred characters. Yeah. I'm not sure what each would, you know, the parts that each plays, but I do think, yeah, symbolically that, that those work well, that like you could read them that way. That Kim, I, it's interesting then too, because Kim, you could read Kim Jong, um, Chanko is kind of, okay. He's a political idealist. Maybe or he's sort of trying to repair Korea. He's this idea of a new person who wants to save is not the right term repair, I guess, like reunite. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does, he does make the play for love first. Like that's, right. he does propose and does present the idea and she rejects it and says, you know, no, that can't be. And so I don't, I guess I, you'd read that as sort of like, do we, do we find him symbolically then as kind of like, well, po- politics is just what you do when you can't find love or something. <laughs> I don't And then Yosef obviously keeps like, they have the relationship. It's obviously kind of strained and even ruined by the injuries and everything, but he does mm-hmm. keep that love in his life. She cares for him. She's his caretaker for the whole book. And so I don't know what that says about politics then in a symbolic way, <laughs> like that. It's kind yeah. of a, it's kind of just an utter failure. I will say that governmentally, uh, this book is extremely well. There's no way we could call it anarchist or something that specific, but it's pretty anti-government. At no juncture in this entire story does anyone involved with the government do or anything helpful or do anything yep. productive or positive. Or <laughs> there's absolutely right. no there's no character who gets involved in government. There's the cop, but like we don't we see him fail to investigate one case and that's it. <laughs> so it's like yeah. it's not like he's exactly a savior or doing some kind of productive thing. And so yeah, I don't think this book cares much about people who pursue political aims yeah. instead we have kind of our hansu and our katsu i again i also not full sympathy for those characters either i don't think the book loves either of them but they're thriving and succeeding with the worldviews that they have so mm-hmm. all right any final quotes before we get to the essays i know we've alluded to these I don't think so. All right, Leo, let's dive in and do our third segment. We're going to do each um, respond to an imaginary essay prompt that the other has prepared. Uh, we've not outlined, or sorry, we have outlined. Well, we've not written these, so when we say imaginary essay, we haven't literally gone back to school and done a five-page paper or something. We've just taken the prompt, <laughs> done a rough outline. Maybe we have some quotes to discuss and some ideas to d- analyze, but it's just a more focused way for us to break down the book now that we have concluded it. Let me, I've, I've hinted at yours more so I'm going to throw mine at you first. Okay. Because I feel like I've, I've been pre-prompting it this whole time. My prompt was pretty open-ended. It was just to analyze Kyung Yi's character in any way that you want to. Um, she may be a foil character. I feel like for the book, she's kind of a convenient piece of set dressing to throw in. She also is kind of a moral anchor. 
I, maybe the author forgot about her sometimes. I don't know. Um, she clearly didn't, though, because the book literally ends with Kyung Yi, not in the point of view of her, but she's in the final scene. She's waiting for Sunja in that scene. And so I just thought, like, she was a interesting and kind of strange presence in the book. She does not get any point of view in the second half. Is that right? She's in it, but she doesn't get a chapter. Is that Am I right? Right, yeah. She okay. doesn't get a voice um, yeah. except for when she um, declines Chang Ho's proposal. Yeah, there, you're right. There probably is a slight, because this is a book, uh, I forget the, what's the literary term for it? Is it free and direct discourse? It, it's when the book will just shift points of view at any given moment. There's no like indication that it's going to do it. It just does it when it needs to. So I'm certain in that scene, even though we know his point of view, I'm sure it just shifts to hers for a paragraph and says what she's feeling. So, but yes, for the most part, no, no real chapter for her. So feel free to take it away. What is, what's her role in this book? How are we reading her? So I've read her as like kind of a, two different levels um so at the most basic level is that she's meant to represent the ideal korean woman where she is beautiful they harp on her beauty a lot and the fact that her beauty apparently like never fades (laughs) um so she's absolutely beautiful uh which is the opposite of sunja as well which i think is uh makes her kind of a foil for sunja in a lot of ways um, Kyunghee is very obedient, which Sunja is, you know, not always. <laughs> that I find that fascinating too. So you would you would agree with that? Yeah, yeah. I would say yeah, because Sunja, she, right. So anything to do with her kids, like Yosef was like, you cannot accept money from Hansu. What does she do? She accepts money from Hansu so that mm-hmm. Noah can go to school. Um, and he's like, you can't, you can't work at a restaurant. What does she do? She goes to work at the restaurant. Like she does what she thinks is best for the family, regardless. She takes on Sunja took takes on more of um, almost a patriarchal role because she's the one who takes care of everything, and she's the one who ultimately makes the decisions for her kids and for her family. Um, whereas Kyungi, she does not want to go against Yosip at all. Um, so that's why she has to, for example, when Sunja goes to meet with um, Chang Ho at the restaurant to get to work at the restaurant, um, Kyungi stays outside. <laughs> right. Yeah. Very, very potently um, kind of in a symbol way. Yeah, exactly. Um, so she's so Kyungi is is obedient. She's also a symbol of purity. She like does not have kids first of all um so she can't be seen necessarily as a mother even though she kind of like takes care of the kids and stuff she's she's just an aunt she's not a mother um and she's pure as well because she is given the opportunity to marry chang ho which in from her perspective she cries when she rejects him because she does have feelings for him but she feels that it's wrong to make him wait especially since she cannot give him kids so she's self-sacrificing in that way so she's also a symbol for purity which also um maybe is a symbol for like christianity kind of like um the 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 virgin mary in some ways um so 
which could then maybe translate to the the big big meaning, which is perhaps Kyungi is um, symbolic of of hope, just in general, like this idea of hope, because she's the one who takes care of everyone. Um, she takes care of uh, Yosef. She helps take care of Isaac. Um, she takes care of Sunja when Sunja is like you know um, pregnant and sick and and all that stuff. She also takes care of Sunja's mom yeah. at the end. She's the one who lives yeah. with her mom. This is a scene that I'll uh, I'll unpack when I do essays. But yeah, that so was that implying that Sunja? I know because Kyungi lived with her with her mom, right? They still mm-hmm. live together, and Sunja yeah. did not at that point, or did she? She. Technically, she did. Yeah. But she had to, because um, Mozatsu's wife died, um, she kind of moved in also with Mozatsu to help take care of Solomon. Got it. Okay. That ma- that yeah. The logistics of that make more sense. That's what I ass- I just assumed that at some point she must have moved out given the speech, and I'll talk about that too. Yeah. The sense of abandonment there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she could be, so I think Kyungi on, on a higher level, other than being the symbol for, like, the ideal Korean woman, and therefore a very desirable, everybody, all the men desire her in some way, except for Hansu. Mm-hmm. Um, she could be just, like, this bigger idea of, like, of hope, and perhaps of idealism, of, of like, this unattainable thing, but that you always hope will be there. Um, mm-hmm. So she could then symbolize maybe like the good old days um, where memories and things like that, that never ages, that never loses its beauty um, because she is, since she's also the, the ideal Korean woman, gender roles have changed throughout this novel as well. You look at Sunja, right, who is the embodiment of change in a lot of ways, um, but Kyungi stays the same throughout, including her looks. So it's like yeah. she's perhaps symbolic of the good old days of what of what the perfect Korea was, what they thought Korea was. Um, and yeah, so that's why we have like the old Korea, which is Yosip and the symbol of the new Korea, which is uh, Changho. Um, they both love Kyunghee because she's hope and she's. A memory of the, ah, good, day, the that, good old yeah, days. Yeah, I hadn't considered that, but sure, yeah, sort of a crosses the divide and is becomes the sort of I don't yeah pure beauty symbol, some combination of those terms or words or whatever represents yeah. that for both. No, it's interesting. What so is Yoseb then? Do you, how do you read Yoseb in that sense? Is it it's sort of the ultimate test for her obedience, loyalty, or something like that? He also really falls out of the story. I mean, he has the moments on the farm, but we never get his point of view again after that. Yeah, if if I were to read Kyunghee as like the good old days of like uh of Korea of old then her decision to stay with Yosef instead of moving forward with Changho it's like it's perhaps symbolically that the new Korea is a completely different Korea and has to let go oh, of the okay. old Korean ideals to move forward interesting okay yeah, well said. And then the story ends. Do you find the ending to be those two on equal footing? 
Kyungi and Sunja because they, they're together. I mean, well, it's a, it's referred to that she's nearby. It's they're not. She's not literally in the scene, but she gets referred yeah. to. Uh, she's at the Isaac's grave. Do you? How do you find them then? What's the duality at the end? I guess final final question. Yeah. So she says the very last line is she picked up her bags. Kyungi would be waiting for her at home. Um, so I, I Sunja is like change. She is the forward momentum of of uh, of Korea, right? Survival, getting it done, doing things that's best for your family and not just clinging to the old times. But if we also see Kyunghee as still, you know, the memories and stuff like that, of course she wants to, even the new Koreans, they still want to cling to that the old ideas because they are still so beautiful in their minds. So the the idea of Isaac as well, whom she barely knew because they, they he was incarcerated for most of their marriage. Um, she idealizes him in a lot of ways too. She remembers him as something beautiful. She remembers him as this near perfect man in a lot of ways. So that retreat into idealism and memory that that makes sense with Kyunghee as well. Excellent. Yeah. I like it. Interesting. Any final thoughts on her, on her character? Nope. Yeah. I thought some of the background, it's just in a novel like this and it's so span, it so spans history and straddles a ton of history. Yeah. It was just interesting to see a character kind of make it, make her way through it and not ever be displaced in the story. It was, yeah, I thought she was worthy of study. There's obviously more yeah. important main characters. I don't think the book relies on Kyungi in any thematic way, but I don't mm. think she should be ignored. I thought it was, she's that interesting middle ground where it's like, you can't, she surely makes it through for reasons that were important, you know, to right. the story. And the author must have constructed her in a way that thought that she really mattered, but she's also not a main character. I feel like Noah and Mozatsu are so much easier to read, I guess is my thought. Like, yeah. I don't I don't think I ended their plots or stories or whatever being confused in almost any way. But Kenny's yeah. interesting. I wasn't. Yeah, I really wasn't sure what to make of her at times. Yeah, she especially since we don't get her perspective a whole lot. Yeah, yeah definitely. All right. Uh, throw yours my way and I'll take mine on. Yeah. Uh, the opening line of the novel is history has failed us. But no matter. Who is the us in that quote, and how does the failure of history relate to the novel and its themes? So, I think there's an obvious answer, which I'll quickly dismiss, but I do think it shouldn't be ignored, because it it is clear. I think it's displaced Koreans, all of the main characters, except for later in the book, there are some Japanese characters too, but... Uh, the most of the major characters are displaced Koreans, Koreans who have had to move around. There's the occupation. They've been forced out. They've left for opportunity, etc. And so I think that's the answer. It's just like on its face of a fine answer. I think this book is concerned about that, cares about it, knows about the history, all that stuff. I will, for this purpose, interpret this more um, abstractly or just sort of more conceptually, because I think that answer is so literal, it doesn't really require any explanation. But I don't, I think the idea of community is fascinating. So it's like if, if history's failed us, or it's sort of like, what, what, has, what have our conditions not allowed us to do? It's kind of like there are people in this book who can't cultivate community or, and don't know who they are, these kind of like identity dislocated people. 
and those are the people who I think the book really punishes the most. Let's actually jump to the ending to start with this kind of communal they don't cultivate relationships or community scene. Uh, one of the most comfortable scenes, I think, in this whole book is at the very end on 470, where you have Goro, Mozatsu, and the police officer whose name I always forget. T, T, Tom, I to- think it's Tokuyama. Tokuyama. They're having a very joyous, chatty, gossipy lunch. They're eating and drinking well. They clearly know each other and are regulars at a place they love. They know this place. They know each other. They know the people who operate the business. It's one of the only comfortable and self-aware moments in the whole book where people are just kind of themselves. They seem confident. They seem positionally um, kind of appropriately placed. They seem to have community together and understand each other. So I don't I'm just extrapolating backwards from that because it's like, well, how did those three people do that? How did they (laughs) how did they get there? And it's sort of like. There's complex readings to all of it. So with Mizatsu, you have a person who is aggressively pragmatic and cares very little about his national nationality and national-based identity, though he doesn't ignore it either. He tells Solomon about the shame and the kind of citizenship issues they have. But he also just doesn't really—he just is pragmatic and very straight ahead, wants to keep things going, wants to forge ahead. Then you've got Toko—is it Tokoyama? I know you just said Toto, it, too. Totoyama. Totoyama. He's living kind of a double life, and we do we ever learn what his wife does about that? I don't think so. She just sees it. She just it. kind of, like, ignores it, I think. Yeah, just kind of moves on because they, they didn't have a sexual relationship. Um, anyway, She that scene had made that clear. So he's living his life secretly as a gay man. He's with the police officer, but also has two true friends that he seems to be able to rely on and doesn't seem deeply discomforted. Um, There's some scenes in his point of view earlier where he talks about he felt suicidal, his brother, he wanted to kind of kill him and himself because of the shame and how hard it was to survive. But this final scene that he gets does not seem like that at all. They are able to comfort Solomon. They give him like decent advice. They're there to listen to his issues and sort of help him pragmatically as best they can. They, They sympathize with him. And there's no real hint of wrongdoing, though, again, we could... That's maybe its own kind of essay question, is, like, what's going on with the Yakuza in the story? Um, But so, okay, so there's those two. And then Goro, who we don't know directly, but we know he's a womanizer, though the story shows him as a harmless sort, where he he just likes to talk about women, but doesn't seem to do anything illegal or out of pocket, or... I don't know, was he, like, a flirtatious guy? Is that how you read him? Yeah, he's he's a giant flirt, but yeah. uh, he he doesn't like touch the girls. Yeah, either. zero indication that it is anything but verbal. Which you know, some people would define that as kind of its own version of assault. I'm sure culturally, it's not read that way in the book at all. He's sort of just like a innocent, flirty guy who uh, the book even I feel like goes out of its way to quote that like people love him it's like in a way that brings joy to people I, I swear there's a line like that where it's kind of like he lights up a room and so you know he's just he's just there to make everyone feel good and have a good time or whatever yeah, um, yeah. so this scene I thought was fascinating because it's I don't know I mean there's other moments of real bliss and joy in the story but it seems like these three together have forged something that and so it's like when you see history failing people um 
and it failed all three of these people maybe in, di- in different ways, but they mm-hmm. seem to have overcome this failure uh, and, and their community together, their sort of bond, their friendship bond does seem to be one of the triumphant moments of the story. It's subtle. I, I know it's, it's not portrayed in a heroism sense, but I felt very strongly that this scene stood out at the end. It was a real moment of camaraderie in a book that otherwise has a lot of like displacement, pretty aggressive displacement. I'm not sure if you felt that way about the scene. Yeah, um, what the scene made me realize too was um, that the the Japanese characters who um, who make it in the end and, and are seen as not complete douchebags like Katsu, right. um, they are all what would be considered like uh, social deviance, right? So, so Totoyama is, is homosexual. Mm-hmm. Hana is um, a, a prostitute and, and a hostess, and she's living on the fringes of society in that way. And then Etsuko, who marries Mozatsu, um, she's also um, a deviant in that she's a divorced woman because she was having affairs. So right. the people who um, are the closest to the Korean family are people who are outsiders in their own society as well. So that scene kind of highlighted that fact for me. Yeah, definitely. Their injection... yeah, it's it's complicated because I think they both brought something to the book, uh, Etsuko and Hannah. But at the same time, I'm like, man, you couldn't have given Noah more pages. Like, damn, this is you know, it, I don't know. It, it was bold. I thought like to introduce new characters like that so late and to give them such play. But I don't know. They were both interesting, so it wasn't. It didn't feel like it was bad. Um, mm-hmm. Let's continue on with this communal thing. This kind of community reading or those who like forge community. So. I think there's some symbols for this too. In the in the opening of the book, we have these lodgings that um, see the names I'm already throwing. Sunja's mom, San, shoot, Yanjin. It's with a Y. I thought it was with an S. Like the way that she maintains that business, where it's very shabby and small, but it's extremely tidily kept, and the people in it. This was part of my not early issue with the book, but something I stuck on that kind of it's just that all the characters in the opening scene felt so samey because they all spoke kind of like kindly to each other. There was such a baseline of respect and warmth, not in a negative way, but it was just kind of hard to tell them apart in just in terms of personality, because except for the one fisherman who made jokes, everyone else was just kind of like living very comfortably. They seemed to have a very honest, open, respectful kind of community in this lodging house. And so that combined with, if you remember the house in Nakano when they first moved to Japan, this was Kyungi and Yosef's house. It's mm-hmm. on the outside, you know, the alleyway's muddy, there's pigs all over, it smells terrible, and the, the Koreans are being displaced and discriminated against. But on the inside, their house is lovely, and Yosef goes out of his way to be like, don't tell anyone our house is nice, you know, protect this. <laughs> um, but I, I, that just, I think, works symbolically to show that, like, you can cultivate something warm, welcoming, communal, like, uh, comfortable, even if the history around you is failing you, even if the economics of your country are in disaster, even if you're occupied, living under imperial rule, even if you have no hope or prospects, you can kind of get by. I think that's complicated, too, because they, they obviously came from like upper middle class backgrounds and had money to buy property, yada, yada. I'm not, I don't want to go too deep in the reading because I think this could get complicated. But I do think that symbolically that, that works just to show, again, you can kind of make 
communal comforts and have people around you and have relationships that bring real meaning, even if history is failing you, meaning there's not enough economic opportunity for you to, to bank on. And you also don't really need a nation-based I don't think this book would be in favor of a nation-based identity. I mean, characters obviously are discomforted and sort of dislodged, and maybe it would be better if they had a place they felt like they belonged. But also, if you see the people who are, the times when they're comfortable, the symbolic moments of their kind of warmth, like, don't rely on that. And so I don't think the book, I, I know the book is concerned about Korea and Japan. I don't think the book comes down in some way where it's like, well, you've got to find your home. you got to pick one. It's, it definitely does not feel that way to me. Right. Yeah, I think that um, Min Jin Lee is, is trying to showcase some of the complexities of a cultural identity and how those identities kind of... Uh, it's not easy to define, especially when you are an immigrant. So I, I think she did a good job of not trying to say like, oh, this has yeah. to be the way that this is done, but instead is just showing how complex that whole situation is. Yeah, definitely. Um, two other things to read into this essay question. Two other thoughts I have on it. One is, a, I think, reads extremely cleanly, and then there's only one complication to this interpretation for me. The one that reads cleanly then is Noah. So Noah is the outcast of this thematic reading. He never forges community ever. So he, even though he's thriving at university, he is alone. He has no personal connections. The one woman that he connects with, it's mostly an intellectual curiosity and then a sexual you know, obviously a sexual awakening for him too, both of which are fine, but he doesn't have any real connections to these people. And he, he, he gets such a catastrophic ending, almost absurdly so. It's a, it's a one-sentence turn. He kills himself. It's over. There's no coming back. He was going to live his life that way. Um, he even summarizes this on 383. Let me see if I can find this quote quickly. Where is it? Because he also has kind of a tidy sum up. Oh, yeah. When when she finally finds him, his mom finds him again. Um, she says, and you're, he says, I'm a Korean working in this filthy pachinko business. I suppose having Yakuza in your blood is something that controls you. I can never be clean of him. This is my curse. And then she says, but you're not a Yakuza, are you? And she talks about Masasu. And then he talks about how he just can't avoid it. The business is dirty. And that's... That's what it is. And so it's clear that he, even though he, there's a scene where he's very comfortable with his family and loving with his kids and warm, it doesn't matter. It's not, it's not true comfort, I guess. It's, it's interesting, I get, and because I think the scenes with his family are never shown to have any discomfort or displacement, but I think thematically he reads well with this interpretation because he just cannot cultivate these kinds of friendship, camaraderie connections. There's no warmth in his life, and he... The, the best relationship, other than with his family, who he leaves and abandons, um, is with a Kiku, right? I mean, in terms of page counter, like, detail. Like, we get we get a multi-page kind of... Wouldn't you say, I don't, again, I could be misremembering, or maybe I'm just... My reading has become twisted or biased. Doesn't he... Don't we get more pages between them kind of arguing than with him and his family that he ends up having? I mean, it's brief. Like, we don't... We don't get a ton of scenes with his family. We get some about his wife. She's a quiet clerk. Um, right. But their their relationship is one page. It's like he they he noticed her. They fell in love. They have kids. They whatever. It's brief. Yeah, it's very and and that his uh, mother in law doesn't. She thinks that he's 
not Japanese. <laughs> right, right, right. And so that another she identity. Really care for him. Yeah. yeah, and so his his false life as a Japanese man, he he reads into this well because he goes full pretend. He is the ultimate avoidance mechanism. His his mentality, his shame, and so he cannot have this community because of his moral code and his strict interpretations of blood. And so yeah, he I think this reads well because you take those three men who, despite their complications, their imperfections seem to have some acceptance of this and have found people they can rely on anyway. He just tries to go rogue and individualistic and leads a rigid life and dies from it. Um, so commit suicide because of it. So I think he reads cleanly into this interpretation too. Any final thoughts on Noah? And then I have one final thing to throw in. Uh, nope. I'm good. Go ahead. So Yanjin is baffling to me then. I thought this was probably the worst moment in the book, though uh, it was interesting to read but this is where I thought the book clearly failed. It, it was it's when you have a history like this, and I don't read a ton of historical fiction like this that has such a big cast for such a long period of time. But this is what I think books like this risk are these baffling moments where you're just like, what has, has the book earned this? Like Yanjin is not even a character. How come she gets this speech? <laughs> um, not that it wasn't a good or interesting speech. It was like, okay, I, again, it's like thematically, I kind of get it. It's intriguing to me, but it's also kind of baffling too. But I do think she is the case that where I don't get, if I'm going to interpret this book in this kind of way, and history is sort of like you endure it through community you cultivate regardless of nationality. I would have assumed that Yanjin would fit this, that she was one who, though displaced from her daughter because of Hansu, is able to come along with their community and she works with them and she's there and she's a presence for the kids and she's and there's there's comfort around her and Kyungi cares for her. But she has a, a rant at the end of the book, um, yeah. perhaps justified. Again, I'm not. It's not like a personal critique, but I was just like, this is a strange. This is strange to give a character who you haven't treated like a character this kind of moment. Um, how did you read her final speech? Because, again, this is the one thing where I'd say, I feel like my communal interpretation is not bad. And then I'm like, well, how do I reconcile this? Then I guess it would be that her daughter left her. But, again, by my reckoning of the book, I don't think you need family to have this communal connection and closeness. But in Yanjin's mind, that obviously is true. Like, the care Kyungi gives and having her family around is not enough. She wanted Sunja to be closer. She wanted that connection with her daughter and didn't get it. And so she, you know, criticizes her harshly and talks about the disappointment of it all. What do you think of that moment, that final moment for her? For, for me, I read it as Young Jin is kind of, that scene is the direct opposite of that uh, final scene with the three guys and Solomon, with um, mm -hmm. Goro... Uh, Mazatsu and Totoyama, um, where they have their own sense of community, their own sense of family, where it, they're not even actually related until Solomon comes in. Um, yeah. Whereas uh, Young Jin has been um, cared for by Kyungi, who is not actually her blood, flesh and blood, and that's what's upsetting to her. So the way that I read that is that it's a direct contrast to that because Yang Jin is also symbolic, perhaps, of um, the old ways, right? It's supposed to be that the your kids are supposed to take care of you in your old age. It's your kids who are responsible for you. Um, but instead, Sunja is off taking care of Solomon and Mozatsu. Um, and so she's like, instead of staying with her mother, which is what the expectation is, she's actually m moved over to the the newer 
generation to the um, uh, to a, to her other community. Um, and, and even though there's Etsuko who lives there as well. Um, so I, I thought of it as like Yangjin is railing against the fact that there is change, that the old ways are dying out, that she is a relic of this old expectation, which also makes sense that Kyungi then is the one to take care of her. If Kyungi is also a representation of the, the idealism of the old days. Um, mm. And so that's that's how I read Yangjin's anger towards Sunja, who is the embodiment of change and 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 therefore yeah. of the new sense of community, the new idea of what family is. Yeah, that's true. And she didn't I, yeah, I don't I, I don't know. We'd have to read back into kind of some early interactions and familial love with their when Sunja was a child and how mm-hmm. Yanjin kind of treats her as a child. I'll end with this paragraph then, because this does maybe put a bow on it. Because if you're going to read people who never feel comfortable in this book, and soon and um, Yanjin's one of them, she does. She brings the blood into it like Noah does. She evokes this idea, and she says, "You brought shame on your child by having that man as his father. You caused your own suffering. Noah, that poor boy, came from a bad seed. You're fortunate that Isaac married you. What a blessing that man was. Musasu came from better blood. That's why he's so blessed in his work. So I do think." Maybe this would be the way to make it work coherently. You have people who are deeply invested in blood ties, which could easily, you know, that's nationality. That's just, hey, look at our lineage. Where'd you come from? Who are your, who's your family? They end up very un- disoriented, discomforted, extremely pained by the, by the end of the book. She is pained. She does it clearly is discomforted. And Noah is the epitome of this. So I think maybe that's how to make this reading work, where it's like, who does history fail? People who tie themselves to blood ties. People who really think that the only way to get through is you either you just endure whatever family's given to you, um, and with no other connections that matter, no other I don't know types of communal bonds you can forge, and they seem to to have a hard time of this. I don't know. Not a perfect reading. Definitely messy, and and that also gets complicated by the shoot. Who's the character I was thinking of just now? There's this person that would complicate that reading too, but en- but enough analysis for the essay. There's there's some thoughts <laughs> on who who us us is and who history failed. Any thoughts on any of those readings? Any of those moments? N- nope. Okay. Well, those are our thoughts on the essay prompts. Let's do our final couple segments then. Uh, Critical Assistance, our fourth segment, is up next. This is when each person selects a quote from an outside piece, like a piece of criticism or a book review or something similar. And then we discuss that and see how it holds up, see how their readings match with ours. I just talked forever. Amanda, let's put you up to it first. (laughs) Uh, Where's your critical assistance from and what are we discussing? Uh, Mine is from the New York Times. And... Uh, the title is July's Book Club Pick Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, and this was written by Chris Lee. Um, Pachinko, the slot machine-like game ubiquitous throughout Japan, unifies the central concerns of identity, homeland, and belonging. So I, I chose that was like one of her opening Chris Lee's opening lines in in this uh, essay, and um, I hadn't really thought too much about like why why the book is called Pachinko in particular. Um, but I thought it was interesting that this author um, tied it specifically to those three themes of identity, homeland, and belonging. So I was like, hmm. mm, that's something to think about. 
I think if I had to pick three, not bad. Sure, why not? It, it, I mean, and Pachinko was run by Goro and Mazatsu, and then Noah was also kind of sucked into it, so... Yeah, right. I think the only one who wasn't was Hansu, right? Of all the of all the businessmen there, Hansu's the only yeah. one that did not have a pachinko parlor. And but he doesn't seem to care either. He's I mean, and we got his kind of couple uh page kind of screed in the first half. I don't think he yeah. would care. <laughs> he doesn't I don't think he's bothered by how you're running your business or what business you're running. As long as it's, you know, being run in a certain manner. Right, but what's funny about that too is that uh, the idea is that oh these the pachinko parlors are all owned by yakuza, but the only yakuza Hansu in the book is not at all affiliated with pachinko. <laughs> it's I do that's the other thing I wanted to bring up. We just didn't get any we didn't get to it in our quotes or essays. It didn't come up organically. This is a weird book about yakuza. Because they're not even in the book, but they are, yeah. but they did. And maybe that's the, I couldn't settle on if that was the point. I also never want to give authors, I mean, I want to give them all the credit they're due for doing an impossible task of writing novels that are this coherent and good. But I also don't want to do them too many favors and like, if something in the book falls short and I give them a ton of credit for it, I don't like that either. But it is yeah. interesting to be like, maybe that's the point of Yakuza is that like, you never really know who they are. They're kind of this ghost force. So it's appropriate mm-hmm. then that the book doesn't ever confirm or show anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and maybe that's the point of identity too. It's that like, you can be misjudged. I mean, with Mazatsu, that's obviously the case. Like he's misjudged and has no Yakuza connections, yada, yada. So it's, I don't know. I, it's another case where I'm not sure how to feel if that's like, do I give credit to the book for doing that really smartly? Or is it just right. kind of like the book didn't have room for, we don't have room in this book for three scenes where he's like dealing with Yakuza troubles. I don't think it would be too, way too much, way too many right. ideas. <laughs> anyway, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, and even Hansu's Yakuza behavior is very, like, light, right? There's mention of mm-hmm. sending um, Chang-ho out to, to make certain collections from the from the uh, various businesses, but that's that's it. Like, yeah. it's, it's yeah. a very, yeah. I don't know. Um, anyway, so another quote that I chose is, uh, like most memorable novels, however, uh, Pachinko resists summary. In this sprawling book, history itself is a character. Pachinko is about outsiders, minorities, and the politically disenfranchised. But it is so much more besides. Each time the novel seems to find its locus, Japan's colonization of Korea, World War II as experienced in East Asia, Christianity, family, love, the changing role of women, it becomes something else. It becomes even more than it was. And and I agree with that. I, I think that there's a lot of themes that the author hits on and that it kind of like builds up on the, the previous ideas that she introduces. So it just it's a novel, I think, that builds and builds and builds um, in what it's encompassing and what it's discussing. Maybe it's fitting enough then that the moments that jarred me are just because of the scope and because of that kind of construction that quote summarizes Mm -hmm. that I read as kind of like, 
it's almost like she gets bored with the most dramatic moments possible. Like she kills off Yumi in a page. She kills Noah and then never goes back to it. Directly doesn't like deal with the fallout from suicide. She gives Yanjin that speech very abruptly. Like just here, let's yeah. boom, let's get it done. Like I don't. I, it's interesting, right? Because I, I just think what I settled on the review that we haven't recorded yet, a recommendation, is just that I think this is a kind of scope of history type of novel that I don't read a ton of. And so I think I yeah. was just unaccustomed to books that are so comfortable discarding plots or characters to fit in a new one that adds some richness and stuff. It is, it's interesting mm-hmm. for sure. I think it is a sweeping thing. Yes. it Sweeping is, I think, a great word for, for this novel. Yeah. Um, and in the next quote, despite the compelling sweep of time and history, mm-hmm. it is the characters and their tumultuous lives that propel the narrative. Small details subtly reveal the characters' secret selves and build to powerful moments. After Sundra arrives in Osaka, her modest life is underscored when she enters what is only the second restaurant of her life. So this is something that um, I picked up on as well, is that... Uh, Minjin Lee's writing style is, I think, uh, very concise to the point in a lot of ways. But she does sprinkle in little details that that help to subtly give us some characterization. That'll help to subtly give us um, little insights into the characters and into the times and into uh, certain things. So, like for example, when we were talking about um, Hansu and his yakuza activities, it. There's no big overt action that he does to show yeah. that he's a gangster. Right. Right. It's just little, little well, aside. He beats a things. woman almost to death in his car. I mean, that's yeah, the. That, that one, yeah. yeah. An- another <laughs> moment that, again, is kind of. I think, you know, when you have this Yakuza gangster in the story, it's. You have to give them some. They can't be not frightening, or unless you want right. to. I don't That's a different t- sort of interpretation. But if you're going to have them be frightening. Um, but another scene, though, that it's like. I don't because we don't have a lot of time to let that breathe or think about the implications and yada yada. It's like we're just going to keep things moving. It's um, I don't know. Again, I thought the scene itself was pretty brutal and wasn't poorly done. But it's just to remember that it's there and we've never thought about or talked about it shows the kind of scope of things, you know? Yeah. 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 For and it was uh, very surprising that particular scene because we've only mm-hmm. seen like the the gentler side of Hansu. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the caring side, the the side that wants to take care of his folks. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the final quote that I have is: "Dozens more characters amplify the vortex of points of views. A hostess, bar girl, a farmer who has no wish for the war to end just yet, so that he can benefit from the higher black market prices to realize his grandfather's dearest wish of buying the adjoining land. The numerous shifts are occasionally jolting, but what is gained is a compassionate, clear gaze at the chaotic landscape of life itself. In the, this haunting epic tale." No one story seems too minor to be briefly illuminated. Lee suggests that behind the facades of wildly different people, like countless private desires, hopes, and miseries, if we have the patience and compassion to look and listen. So I chose this one, too, because it, um, of the jolting and, and the, the changing points of view and and how it kind of like deals with so many different things and people and, and belief systems and everything else. Um, and it is kind of chaotic, but I, I, I really enjoyed it overall. Yeah, yeah. Let's um let's jump to mine. It's from the Irish Times, which I did have to go to the second page of Google for this one. Went past a lot of our usual oh. stalwart 
book review locations. So just changing yeah. it up, <laughs> just throwing twists in. It's by John Boyne. It's just a review. I, the title I think is a masterpiece of empathy and integrity. Um, Again, Irish Times. One of the most endearing elements of Pachinko is how honorable most of the characters are. Husbands love their wives, children respect their parents, even Kohansu, who has played fast and loose with the affections of a young girl, spends decades trying to help Sunja, and although she is dismissive of him and later in life, their relationship remains one of the most intriguing things in the book. Two, two things about this quote. Uh, is this slipping into stereotype? I don't know. Uh, it's interesting, though, because I think it definitely in the first half of the book... There was a certain straightforwardness. I think the metaphor I used was like it's like a pitcher just throwing, um, just throwing uh, not curveballs. What's the, what's the? See, I don't know any baseball terms, so now I'm like trying to make up baseball terms. <laughs> Fastballs. It's like very straight down the middle and direct. Like it feels like mm-hmm. it, that was one thing in the beginning. I just thought this is intentional. Obviously, it's kind of setting up characters, but it doesn't. It didn't feel like there were any intensely conflict-laden moments and there weren't people who were... A lot of people were just accepting things and moving forward and, as he put it, very honorably. Um, it's interesting. I, I Again, I think a lot of this book, you could maybe say that. So I don't know. I'm not sure how, how to read that quote. The other one, though, is more interesting, which is like their relationship remains one of the most intriguing things in the book. I They have the same interaction four times. Like, I don't... Did you yeah. feel that way? I didn't think it was... I thought it was important that they kept checking in just because of his role in the story. I, right. To call it one of the most intriguing things in the book is bizarre to me. It's the same. They don't have a new dynamic. They never have a new dynamic. From the moment he tells her about his wife, they never have a new dynamic. The dynamic right. is she is ashamed. He is persistent that he cares. And they replay that dynamic the whole. It's the least dynamic part of the book. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wasn't sure if you felt, was there like some part, some scene that really stood out or something? Because they have the same fight every time. Uh, the only other thing maybe you could read as a wrinkle is that she kind of sh- just doesn't push back when he demands to pay for the education. But that's also because he did it without even asking her. He just, he already prepaid. Like, set right, it, and so. also that, yeah, Noah was like, just let him do it. <laughs> but it, And it's the same dynamic, though, because later when he finds her son, when he finds Noah, it wasn't with her permission either. He just does right. things. He's a shadow force of, of considerable influence. I don't know. To call it one of the most intriguing is, I thought, very generous to the book. I They kind of play the same dynamic out. It's like the consistent thing in the book. Anyway. Next quote, Pachinko itself is a Japanese version of pinball, and while Pachinko parlors um, become the family business later in the novel, it also stands as a metaphor for the lives they lead. In a game of pinball, the initial strike of the ball against the flipper determines how the game will play out. For Sunja and her descendants, it is what happens at birth that determines their fate. Over the years, they may bounce off the sides of the machine, ricocheting against the bumpers, kickers, and slingshots, but there's a sense that fate has decided how their lives will develop from the moment the plunger hits the ball. Do you think there are any characters who defy that reading hmm the fate has decided how their lives will develop from the moment um because he's I doing the blood th- reading in a sense i mean we see noah and yanjin who i just we just read those quotes they yeah. kind of had that blood reading in them and they both end with either incredible dismay and discomfort or suicide so I don't, there are other characters who, Mizatsu being the most notable one, kind of forge a different path, find some way to live both as a Korean and in Japan, but not really caring about either. It's more of just a bottom line. Right. And same with, I think, Solomon, who we don't know how his life is going to turn yeah. out, but 
but his he's like a mix of Noah and Mosatsu in some ways, right? So he's got some of that idealism from Noah, um, but he's got the the survivalist instincts from Mosatsu. The only thing is, like, he does go back into the pachinko business with his dad, so that kind of is playing along this idea that if you're a Korean in Japan, you have to be you have to be in pachinko to to survive to to do well so yeah hmm. i would I, my my the overbearing amount i would like to analyze class interpretations n- numbs that reading a bit for me because he's a wealthy successful kid who went to an elite american school and will be fine <laughs> uh yeah. his his displacement does not read as profound to me yeah you lost your first job but your boss will also give you a great reference and you've got an amazing degree and you're super rich so okay <laughs> like I, yeah I, but, but again that kind of cynicism is maybe i'm bringing that Maybe the book wanted it to feel more up upending or kind of like there's more upheaval. But even breaking up with Phoebe, the book treats as like an objective good. They have a quiet right. goodbye. It seemed like a f- natural thing to happen. He's not even that profoundly disappointed. He's just, of course, he's reeling. I mean, it's a personal turmoil thing, but it's not like he's upended by it. It's just like, okay, and now I know where I need to be. I need to be here. She didn't need to be, and we're going to move right. forward. So I don't know. I'm I'm not shedding tears for, for him at the end, but maybe that's like yeah. a class thing for me. Um, anyway. <laughs> Uh, final quote to discuss. While Pachinko is only Min Jin Lee's second novel, it is the work of a writer in complete control of her characters and her story and with an intense awareness of the importance of her heritage. Every year, there are a few standout novels that survive long past the hype has died down, and the hyperbolic compliments from a friend's scattered across the dust jacket have been forgotten. Pachinko, a masterpiece of empathy, integrity, and familial loyalty, will be one of those novels. What do you think? Is it going to stand the test of literary history? I think I think that it might. I mean, because it was released back in 2017, mm-hmm. and people are still talking about it. I mean, that that they made the a Apple show, show does, about it, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I still get, I, I still know people who have heard of it and are hoping to read it. So I, it might be. I, I think that it might be something that stands the test of time. I think for me, I I do think she is in complete control of her characters and her story. I I wonder, I guess to me, I am a character based. I think the reason I remember stories is either because of some kind of setting, because I like world building and that kind of stuff. It's probably why I, I still re- read so much sci-fi fantasy. So if there's just some like really inventive premise or really fleshed out world that sticks with me. But the other reason I remember books is because of character kind of moments, maybe a speech, maybe a decision, maybe some kind of conflict. I don't know if any of these characters will stay with me, to be honest. There were just so many of them, and a lot of the things felt abrupt. It never felt thematically out of place, though. I know I said that at the top. I'll reiterate it. Like, it felt very... This book did feel very complete to me. I don't know if I'll remember it in this way. I'm not sure if it'll be one that stands that masterpiece of history book for me. I think it was a a very good book. Um, But, you know, it's high praise. It's interesting. I think 
it is an interesting empathy study too just given how many characters are in here and how often she shifts point of view I wonder if he would think she had empathy for Yumi who died on a page uh, suddenly <laughs> <laughs> or if she had empathy for Yanjin who just gets a, a fiery extremely disruptive speech but then had disappeared yeah. for 300 pages or whatever I don't know it's, it's just odd like I, it's, it's strange to have those inflection moments of such such deep intensity but then it's like but we've got to keep things going here <laughs> um, mm. interesting yeah any final thoughts on those quotes any other quotes in there to discuss nope I'm good okay and yes yeah, I mean I guess as he said it's her second novel uh, incredibly deep impressive stuff yeah well and I will say too I, I didn't pull this quote he also complimented homegoing do you remember doing homegoing yeah I do Jesse? I was just about to ask you like how yeah. you felt about homegoing because that's also a novel that sweeps across generations yeah I think this book and this could just be my bias because I like some direct through lines I think this book is a bit stronger and a bit more f- well realized that other one was way more bold though like completely yeah. resetting time periods every single chapter and like it felt like a short story collection that was really intriguing um this one I they're both good books but this one I think it felt a bit more mature to me um but it could just be my preference for like having a direct thread so but yeah he brought that yeah. one up yeah I, I felt like the the writing in this novel was a bit stronger and Homegoing too that was her debut novel mm-hmm. um, yeah but also we talked a bit um, in, in those episodes about some of the failings of Homegoing, which included the fact that it was just sometimes uh, the characters were just there as like purely a symbol rather than as yeah uh, for their it's own hard it's so stuff, hard so. she gave herself yeah. a challenge this this yeah. book does too I mean you can't you're gonna shift you know paragraph point of view and give us one paragraph on uh, Yosef's a good example not to pull up some new evidence but he he's kind of critical but also just kind of gets discarded and it does feel like once the symbolic usefulness is used up the characters used up kind of a thing that would be like a harsh way to read it but um, there, there is that element to it too when you're doing sweep in this manner I guess that's just how how it is right Okay, let's move to our final segment then, the Lightly Literary Hall of Fame. After we finish each book, we choose one thing, whether we loved it or not, to induct into our Hall of Fame one thing that it did really well and that was memorable. We both enjoyed this one quite a lot, I'm sure you could tell. I think you more positive on it than I was, but should not be too challenging. Plenty to praise. Do you want to induct something first? Sure. Um, I said Lee's use of different languages, certain phrases and words in the dialogue. Uh, For example, she's like, Sone, Yobo, Aigu, etc. And it's important that she did that because it goes from using more Korean interjections to at the end it's it's almost a hundred percent Japanese interjections. Yeah, even they're Korean. The, what was the yeah. big one at the end? I saw a lot of was it knee or something knee? So, yeah, Sone. Sone. Okay. Yeah, that was that one was extremely frequent. No, it was great. I thought it was yeah fitting appropriate. Added a good riches too. That's a good selection too. Because have we seen a lot of other authors even do that? I don't think so. And if they no. do, then they take the time to like explain what that means. But uh, Lee just kind of throws it in there as like these are the you know yeah you can figure out what the meaning is. Definitely, it's sort of inferred from context, or you can already tell from the conversations, right, what the tone is right. and what the relationships are. I'm going to induct the thing that I've criticized, but I have to admire the boldness. And then also I do think there were times when it worked, but I'm inducting the abruptness. Like 
the uh, the aggressiveness with which she transitions at some points in the story is just was shocking i think Mm -hmm. that of course it's played to great effect at times i do think there were times when um for example it worked in her favor there was a moment when hannah and solomon i think it's when they're having their sexual relationship when they're like teenagers like really young and there's that weird power dynamic playing out between them and she's has this con- mental kind of control over him. He's so entranced by her. And then it all of a sudden jumps to like when he's in college years later and, the, and she reaches out to him again. I thought something like that worked because it was kind of like, it's like nothing happened in his life until he spoke to her again, which felt strange, but I guess fitting and kind of intense. And so there were times when it worked for me. I mean, there were also times when I thought, I, we'd have to do it to, or a huge own full, full, I don't know, exegesis or whatever on Noah to really understand. Um, to help me unpack whether I think that worked or not. But some of his mm-hmm. moments, I, I thought it was more, it just didn't fit. And then Jan Janari unpacked this a lot, but I didn't think it worked there either. But I, I admire it. I think I want it to go in, whether every single moment that she aggressively skipped the narrative along worked or didn't work. Yeah. So that's my induction. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoyed like some of the abruptness too. It, it keeps the pace moving forward and uh, yeah. especially since she's like spanning several generations, yeah, we gotta we gotta keep it going. So. Yeah, there's no yeah. doubt. I, I think I admire that part of it. Okay, well, that's our thoughts on the Lady Literary Hall of Fame. She goes in with the other greats. Any final thoughts on Pachinko by Minjin Lee before we wrap this one up? Nope. Excellent. Well, keep an eye out on the feed for an upcoming book recommendation. We post those every other Monday, and then our book clubs come out on Fridays, except for last Friday when I forgot to post, so I'm going to post that today. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're if you're watching the feed like a hawk, as we are supposed to be posting, just don't mind me if I forget uh, during the holiday weeks. I will sometimes forget that. Uh, if you enjoyed the discussion, again, leave any rating or review on a podcast platform. It helps us a ton, whether it's Spotify or iTunes or whatever. We're up on most of the big the big platforms and services Um, we have other books coming up in order so if you've enjoyed this discussion or you just want to check out a new book that we're doing coming up amanda will tell you about those yeah so next up we have a visit from the goon squad by jennifer egan Um, and then after that we've got pandora's jar women in the greek myths and that's by natalie haynes and finally we have civil warland in bad decline by george saunders why do i know the name george saunders is he is he a poet or something He's a short story writer for the most part. He's gotten some kind of fame in recent years. He's one of my favorites. Maybe I've brought him up before. Oh, maybe. I wanted to pick something of his, but I've read almost everything he's written. So (laughs) that's his, (laughs) I think the only, he did a book a couple years ago that was nonfiction. It's sort of like him analyzing Russian short stories. I'll read that at some point, just haven't yet. And then he is releasing a new short story collection this year. So I thought about picking that, but this is one of his old works of short stories that I've never read. Otherwise, I think I've covered most of his stuff. So, yeah, happy to get into some Saunders with you. That'll be fun. Nice, yeah. Yeah, he's one of my favorites. And still writing, so very exciting indeed. Okay, well, as always, folks, thanks for sticking with us all the way through the end. We appreciate it. Again, on iTunes, um, Spotify, give us any ratings. And on Instagram and Facebook, we're up at the Lightly Literary Podcast. So check us out and follow us there. We do appreciate it. And until next time... We'll see you between the pages.